Welcome to Living Off Course. Join us if you're fascinated by people who break free of societal norms to live life on their own terms. I'm Zita Moran, and with my co-host, Janie Lim, we're exploring what it takes to live a life that's authentically yours. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Living Off Course, where we interview Michael Dash. Michael is an entrepreneur, business coach, speaker, and philanthropist. He's also a recovering addict who wrote this fantastic book called Chasing the High. He founded Fate from Addict to Entrepreneur, where he works with entrepreneurs, helping them double their revenues and step into their power. He's also the co-founder of Activated Life, a social movement dedicated to inspiring a culture of positivity and authenticity and passion. I love the name. Join us as Michael shares his amazing story and some of the wisdom he's learned along the way. Michael, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just excited to like have you here just because uh, we really, really enjoy delving into your life. I loved your book. I read it in one sitting. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Please write me a review. With pleasure. I was saying to Janie, like I had problems with addictions. Like I used to smoke 30 a day and I had problems with alcohol and stuff. And I kind of felt like I really enjoyed reading about your kind of bravery, your courage in overcoming it and talking about it more is the thing. Like, and um I read there's so much, like I made loads of notes and took loads of quotes out. 14 pages of that's it. Now Janie's making me sound like a bit of a psychopath. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's amazing. I appreciate that No, so but Michael, much. truly, it was great. But we do want to start with your story, just to give our audience context. You started gambling when you were 11 is an interesting place to start. Yeah. So I actually remember the day like it was yesterday. I walked into the house, my grandmother's house. And I remember smelling her turkey cooking in the kitchen. And I remember smelling my Aunt Vivian's sweet potatoes with those marshmallows dripping all over it. The perfect actual smell of an amazing Thanksgiving dinner. But the only problem was I wasn't interested in the dinner because I was sitting with my Uncle Joel. Thank you, Uncle Joel. Cheering the two teams playing football and cheering the one team we had both bet on to score the winning touchdown. And when that team did score the touchdown, we erupted cheering while the rest of the family was eating. And as you alluded to, Zita, the only problem with that picture, that would be an amazing family moment, winning a bet on the football game with your uncle. But the only problem was I was 11 years old. And that started a 20-year gambling addiction of me continually chasing the high. See, when I was growing up, uh, gambling was all around me. I worked for my father. My father was an entrepreneur. And I worked in the warehouse. And all the guys in the warehouse gambled. So they would actually take me to the New Jersey Meadowlands horse racing track after work. I would tell my dad, they're going to take me home. You don't have to bring me home. You could stay at the store. And we would go 40 minute drive right down Route 17 in Paramus, New Jersey. I remember being in the car and picking up loose change from the ground as people missed the toll booth. When you had to throw money in the toll booth to get through, they would miss it. And we would pick up the change on the ground. 
at all the toll booths all the way down until we got to the racetrack. We would probably have two or three more dollars to gamble on the horses. And I was 11, 12, 13, 14 when this was going on. And gambling was embedded in me and all around me from an early age. And then is like indicative of an addictive nature that later led to drugs? Well, the core gambling addiction led to many cross addictions. And I was always chasing some sort of high and money was a high and sales and closing deals were a high. Being the son of an entrepreneur, uh, there were basically two things I knew. One was that I wanted to be like my dad and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And the other was that I love gambling. I just didn't, in a sense, I was fulfilling my destiny because, but I just never thought it would be my first foray into entrepreneurship would be as a bookie and a drug dealer in college. So I already knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. It was a couple of years later in college. And, and that's really where I was because the gambling addiction led to cross addictions, cocaine, Adderall, GHB, marijuana, binge eating at a time chasing likes on social media. These were all highs that when I was achieving them would bring this fulfillment internally and get me really, really excited. So then I became in college, a drug dealer and a bookie because why make bets when you can take bets and why pay for your drugs if you can sell drugs and get them for free. So that's what I did. So during this time, I'm, I'm really curious when you weren't high or or chasing the high what was the feeling about yourself and then your identity i was just bored stuck in boredom i wasn't excited about anything that didn't allow me to get those endorphins up right and to actually feel the blood pumping through my veins when i was in college take a step back i was working basically three of the four years going door to door selling home improvements in baltimore and in Washington, D.C. And Baltimore at the time was like the worst, was like the murder capital of the U.S. So I was going door to door selling home improvements, but I was, while I was doing this, I was still smoking weed. I was high. It was, but I was really good at sales. I was very good at sales. So I was always doing better than my peers. And then I became a manager of a team and literally we would all get high and then go knock on doors, sell home improvements, come home and I gamble. And that's what I was doing. But, you know, entrepreneurship and addiction were like tied at the hip to me because when I closed the sale, the feeling I got internally was like snorting a line of cocaine. And when I would be able to bring on a new client and sign a new client, it was like popping an Adderall and the feeling of my blood just pumping through my body at such a high speed and high rate. It was something that is impossible to duplicate anywhere else. But for me, those things correlated to each other. So that's why I love sales. And I was always chasing sales. When I wasn't doing drugs, I was trying to duplicate the feelings of drugs. And I was able to do that through sales. And was money like almost like a video game? Was it a, a number like that had to keep growing? Oh, money. I mean, I my relationship with money is a whole story in itself. I had a very adversarial relationship with money, but I also did not appreciate money because I could make it pretty easily and then I would lose it pretty easily. So it wasn't like that at that time that I had a lot uh, saved, but I was always bringing money in and pushing money out. 
So I was always making a deal. I was always making a bet. I was always treating everybody around me to dinners and drinks. And I remember I would have parties at the University of Maryland where I went to school and I would have nitrous parties. My friend's father was a dentist and we would sneak into his office and steal a 65 pound tank of nitrous. And then we would sell balloons for $5 a piece at parties I would have at my apartment in Maryland. And so everything was drugs and money and gambling. It's really interesting the courage that it takes to redefine your idea of success. And I know in the book, you talk about that kind of moment of clarity that came to you when you decided that you were going to go to Gamblers Anonymous. But for me, it was really not this awakening that I had a gambling problem. It was more of a curiosity to check out a Gamblers Anonymous meeting after an event with my brother, where we were driving up to Thanksgiving in Massachusetts from New Jersey. It's about a three and a half hour drive, and he would not allow me to listen to sports radio. And I among my, I don't know, 30 addictions. One of them was listening to sports radio because I needed to be updated on all the games because I was an avid sports gambler. So he wouldn't let me listen to it. And I needed to know what was happening with the teams who were about to play that day. So I knew who to gamble on. And after we argued and I relented and we listened to music on the drive up for three and a half hours, I realized after that drive, what a peaceful, relaxing, drive that was where my mind wasn't racing a million miles an hour about what I'm going to do about these football games. And he told me we couldn't listen to sports radio because he was actually going to Gamblers Anonymous because me and my brother gambled together growing up. So because he was going to Gamblers Anonymous, I became curious and I wanted to know what this Gamblers Anonymous did to my brother. I wanted to find my brother. Where is he? So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go check this Gamblers Anonymous out. I wasn't going with the intention of stopping gambling. I was going just because my curiosity was piquing my interest. In the power, I can't even say this enough to your audience. The power of curiosity is such an important thing in our lives because it can open doors that otherwise would be closed and we can allow ourselves to evolve by stepping through that door. Wow. You do mention that quite a lot in your book, Chasing the High, how that has led you to where you are now, not just at that moment of clarity, but yeah, there are many moments that you mention in the book where you open your mind up to something that you might've been previously closed to. Do you want to talk more about those moments? Yeah, there's so many. I mean, I'm not like the typical addict who got found sobriety and they just quit everything. And for me, it was like this slow progression of things that happened in my life. And with all the cross addictions, I had many addictions to break. There were many moments of clarity for me. But one of them, just to take your audience from where I was in those college days to let's just say three years ago when I went through another major transformation. I mean, when I graduated from college, I started working in New York City and I got into, I was still gambling and I got into the drug scene after college also. That involved cocaine. I mean, cocaine was everywhere. When we would party at clubs, it was always there. And I was hanging out with people who were into that scene. So I was always doing it and it was completely out of control for me. And then I 
finally went to that Gamblers Anonymous meeting that I mentioned to you in the story previously. And then I was a couple years clean in Gamblers Anonymous and I stopped doing cocaine and I just had enough of it. It actually, I was doing it every single weekend. Gambling, I was doing every single day. So that's why I always look at gambling as the worst addiction I had because I, I, every day I was consumed with gambling. Like I would gamble at lunch with my friends. I would wake up thinking about gambling. I would go to sleep thinking about gambling. With cocaine, it was a weekend thing, but it really just changed who I was. Usually it has an effect where it makes people talk a lot and be really engaged. And like, I was the exact opposite. Normally I'm a very outgoing person, but this had the opposite effect on me. And I like would get stuck in my head trying to think what the hell I was going to say. I couldn't <laughs> even get words out, but I was highly addicted for like seven, eight years. And so I stopped gambling and stopped doing Coke. I moved to Utah to follow a business opportunity from New York city. And that's where I started my business, which was a, a recruiting company. About two years in, I met these guys, they introduced me to Adderall, and I had never done Adderall before. So most people are, uh, but basically it's, you know, if you have ADD or ADHD, they give it to you so you can focus more. And it definitely works, but it has huge side effects. And it's basically like cocaine in a pill for me. I mean, my heart would just be racing like this, but I started doing it and I would crush work. I would get so much work done, but it removed any empathy within my system. It removed my ability to feel and connect with other people because I was such in a one track mind. And as building a company, I was leading for out of a place of fear. Like I instilled fear in my employees and they performed or they didn't perform. But I wasn't leading from a place of empathy and I wasn't leading from a place of collaboration. I was leading from a place of fear and a place of like dictating to them. Like, this is how you do it. Don't make the mistake again. So I was an asshole, frankly as a CEO. And it took a big revelation in my life for me to actually shift my mindset from that. And what was the revelation? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you just left us hanging there. I needed a water break. So I was leaving a moment <laughs> for you to jump in. It was perfect. So I actually took a trip to Bali three years ago, and I was attending a retreat called Unconventional Life. While I was at this retreat, I found myself sitting in a room with 30 strangers in a workshop with two people on stage talking about flow, a premise of living an effortless life by following your intuition, by making decisions through your intuitive guide versus your conscious mindset, even if it didn't make sense. Believing and trusting in that intuition and others might refer to it as your gut or your heart, like following your heart, following your gut. And this was foreign to me because this isn't how I made decisions, right? I made decisions like I would think about it. I would write the, you know, think about the positives and negatives. Then I would rethink about it. Then I would rethink the rethink from the think. It just said over and over Sounds and over. Familiar. And so this is how I made decisions. And most of them didn't end up in a place where I was satisfied or fulfilled. I wasn't. But because the way I consciously made decisions was a cost-benefit analysis in my mind. And if the benefits outweighed the costs, I would do it. And if they didn't, I wouldn't. And it was all associated with money. So I just made decisions. 
Okay. I'm actually super curious how you go from this high flying life and uh, with all your peers and of such a different mindset to being open to going to Bali and going to that retreat. It seems like very woo woo and something that that version of Michael wouldn't be interested in. What got curious? Well, I had always had this fascination about going to Bali. And frankly, I didn't even know what the retreat was about or care. I just wanted to go to Bali. I'm in a bunch of entrepreneur communities and somebody posted on the Facebook wall about this retreat and I saw Bali and I saw like, without me even knowing it, my intuition had kicked in at that point. And I just said, I'm going like, I don't know what the hell this is, but I want to go to Bali and that's it. So I had no idea what the hell it was. I didn't know it was some she-she thing. I didn't know what it was. I didn't care. <laughs> I had an office in India. So every time I went to India, I would wrap another country around it. So this was a perfect opportunity opportunity for me to align a trip to India to visit my employees there with this trip to Bali and this unconventional life, which I had no clue what it was. And I didn't care. I just wanted to go to Bali. Wow. That's so fascinating. So then when you're introduced to all of these concepts, like intuition and flow, it's almost foreign if it's not in your vernacular. No. Well, I'm going to take you back to that workshop. Because I was sitting in there and these two people, Justin and Jackie, were talking about their Flow Consciousness Institute and how they started studying flow and how they've been flown or how they had top corporate jobs, but they weren't being fulfilled. And so they started exploring the teachings of flow. And then they started actually teaching, they incorporated into their life, their lives changed, and they started teaching it and being flown all over the world. Richard Branson was flying them to Hidden Nectar Island. And all, they were being flown all over the world to teach flow and fulfill their dreams. And they were talking about how they're able to manifest this life for themselves and that there were synchronicities all around them. And I was sitting there and I turned to the person next to me and I said, Lynette, this is a bunch of bullshit. I said, listen, synchronicity, this is what we call back East. If you work hard, then good shit happens to you. It's called coincidence. These are not synchronicities. They're coincidence happen in life, okay? And then the manifestation thing, it was the same thing. I'm like, it manifests. I'm like, what is that bullshit? I'm like, listen, if you work hard, good shit happens to you. And so I raised my hand in front of 30 people and I basically called out the two people speaking. And I said, look, no offense, but I think this is some shishi bullshit. I don't believe what you guys are saying. I was in so much pain at the time. I told them, look, I'm dealing with a lot of addictive patterns. I have addiction in my life. I'm like right now I've been hooked on Adderall. I've been smoking weed every night, popping pills every morning. Like I'm absolutely miserable. At the time I was in what ended up being a six year lawsuit with my ex-business partner. So I was in a lawsuit that I couldn't figure my way out of. So I had built a life that trapped me. And I'm not looking for anybody to feel bad for me because I did it. It was my doing. I built this life, but I was absolutely miserable in it and I didn't know how to get out of it. So at that point, the two instructors said, look, Michael, let's talk after the session's over. And when I got up and all these people came up to me and like, wow, uh, that was so brave of you. And I'm like, what, what was brave of me? Like for you to open up and share all that. I'm like, look, I'm just, I'm like in a lot of turmoil in my head. I can't get out of my own fucking way. Excuse the language. And so I talked to them afterwards and they had talked to me about like, I remember we were sitting in Bali the night before I was leaving. And I sat and talked to these two people for like an hour and a half. I still didn't believe anything they said. I resisted it hard, but they were telling me about divorced couples who were like in a three-year legal battle and they were able to 
solve it through their practices, blah, 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 blah. Again, thought it was all bullshit. But when I flew back the next day and I flew from Bali to Salt Lake City, because that's where I was at the time, there was only one thing I kept saying over and over to myself. And that saying was, would it be so bad to live a different way? Would it be so bad to live a different way? Because at that point, I only knew how to live one way. It was like from the East Coast mentality that I was brought up in, it was like work hard, get the promotion, build a bigger company, get a bigger house, get another house, you get the girl, get a boat, like all this bullshit. That means absolutely nothing in the big scheme of things, but to me, meant everything. That was my focus. I thought if I had it was successful and I had a lot of money, then I would get the woman, then I would get the houses, whatever. That's what I believed. But I was in so much turmoil at that point that I was willing to try anything, even if I thought it was weird as shit and made no sense to me. So when I was on that flight, when I kept repeating to myself, would it be so bad to live a different way? My whole body started to feel lighter. I actually started to feel lighter and much and optimistic. And I said, screw it. I'm going to spend the $1,200 on this Flow Consciousness Institute course, and I'm going to take the course. And I'll make it one promise to myself. I'm not going to judge anything because I know some weird shit's about to go down. And so that's what I did. I took the course, not believing it, but keeping an open mind, having an open mind for the first time. Because, you know, where I grew up, if you talked about people who were talking about energy or meditation or flow or astrology, we were taught like those people are full of shit. Like they're just trying to scam you, you know, stay away from that nonsense. It's a joke. So that's just what I believed. So I had to wipe all that away and go on with an open mind. And I did. And we worked through this whole process of clearing out our limiting beliefs by writing all our beliefs down. We went through a variety of different beliefs on money, money mindset, on sex, on your relationship with yourself, on fears, on change, on all these things. We did tapping and EMDR, which allowed us to clear these out and then input these positive beliefs. So an example would be change is difficult. Most people subscribe to the fact that change is difficult. However, change is actually the easiest thing ever. All three of us could change right now if we wanted to. We just need to change. Like, okay, I'm in, we're in Corona time. We're in COVID time. We're all isolated in our houses. Yes, I put on the Corona 10. Okay. You know, the freshman 15, most people talk about, I got the Corona 10 from being in my house. But you know what? Last night I committed to myself to start making a change and I'm not eating after 8 p.m anymore. So that change, I just committed to boom. It's so easy. You just do it. What happens is people, people like tie themselves to the effect of the change, the results of the change and what it will take to lose that 10 pounds that I just put on. And then they're like, then they get scared off and they're like, oh my God, that's so much work. That's going to take me months on. And, you know, I'm just screw it. It's just too much. I'm not going to do it. But the change itself, you don't associate the change with the end result. You associate the change with the act and the act can be changed at any time. And last night was the last time I ate over. 8 p.m. Okay. So you're saying that change itself is simple in that you just change. You can just change one thing, like rather than overthinking it and going, okay, but this means that and that and that and that. And it means all these things where you can bring more fear into it. 
hundred percent. You just break it down to the act itself. If you want to change something, it's just one act that you're shifting and it's all in your mindset. But like when somebody's like, I want to go on a diet. Okay. Why are you going on a diet? Well, I want to lose 30 pounds. Then they start thinking about changing and going on that diet and how long it's going to take them to lose 30 pounds. And then they get all in their head. And then they're like, after a week or something, they're like, oh, screw this. This is too hard. And actually, that's something I got from your book as well, is simplifying was a big step for you, I think, in changing your reality. Yeah, because what I truly believe is if you want to create massive change, you can't look at like the end result that you want to create. You have to look at the first small step you could take to make a shift. It doesn't have to be something huge. It could be something very small. So let's say you want to get more disciplined. Like you don't feel like you're a very disciplined person or you don't have great routines. Well, what could you do to change that? Well, everybody wakes up in the morning and brushes their teeth. I hope. So that's like an automatic thing. That's a habit, right? It's a habit. Everybody does it. What I do and I never used to is make my bed. Like making your bed is very important. Why is it important? Even though nobody's going to come in your house because we can't, we're social distancing. It's important because it's a positive accomplishment that you've done first thing in the morning to piggyback on your brushing your teeth. Okay, you brushed your teeth. Now you made your bed. Okay, now what? Okay, for me, now I go walk to get my coffee because I want to move my body. I mean, I'm not going to the gym because they're not open, but I want to get some exercise before I sit in front of my desk for the rest of the day yeah. or sit on the couch or whatever. So then I go walk. It's a 25 minute walk to get my coffee and a 25 minute walk back. So boom, I've gotten almost, you know, a 40, 50 minute walk in and then I have my coffee. So now I've brushed my teeth. I've made my bed. I've done some exercising. I have my morning coffee. Then I have my morning coffee and I read 10 to 15 pages of a personal development book. So boom, that's like five things I've done in the morning before like nine, 10 o'clock to get my work started. Yeah. So those little things will build momentum because then when I'm ready to do work, then I'm ready to do, all right, let me accomplish a big task now. And then I can ease into it with some momentum, with some positive momentum mm-hmm. because I've done these little things and subconsciously they all matter. Yeah, I see that. Okay, so after this um, life-changing, was it a pretty rapid change, transformation for you? No, I'm a slow learner. It takes me some time. I mean, I guess it was rapid in other people might consider it rapid, but it took me a couple more mistakes, especially I wasn't aligned. And alignment is so important in life. If you're not aligned with your mind, body, soul mission, then you're going to be kind of like flailing all over the place. And I did a lot of that. I've done a lot of that throughout my life. I've been partially aligned. I haven't been fully aligned, like things like that. But for me, I was in five years into a lawsuit with my ex-business partner and it was costing me a lot of money. And that's what I was focused on until that retreat when I came back and I realized, yeah, it sucks. The money is a big deal, but the time I can't get back. And the longer I stay in this, the more time I lose from my life. And it was the time, not the money, that led me to finally settling the lawsuit after six years. So when I got back from Bali, it took me another year to settle the lawsuit because I was still stuck in my ego. My ego was driving everything. I didn't want to lose because I didn't think I was wrong. I thought I was right. So basically what happened to put some context 
context around this for the audience is that I bought my business partner out five and a half years into our partnership. I paid her a million dollars up front and I owed her 350K more. And I felt like she violated our agreement because she started a competing company afterwards and pulled nine employees from my India office. So I held off on paying the extra 350K and she sued me. So that's what was the lawsuit was about. So I was under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress because I had to borrow to buy the company in the first place. I had about half of it saved from all the work I had done over the years, but I had to borrow half a million. So I'm paying off half a million. I have legal bills mounting up. I'm running this company and I'm being driven by my ego of not allowing me to realize that nobody cares if I win or lose this lawsuit at the end of the day, except me. But I couldn't wrap my mind around that. So eventually we went to trial. I was on the stand five times in six days. The jury actually awarded that I owed her 350K because I signed this agreement, but that she had caused 260K in damages. So it was a net 90K that I owed her. But after all of that, she threatened to appeal the uh, case. So if it was being appealed, that could mean another one to two years in appellate court. And I just was not willing to do that. So I went back and I negotiated a settlement for the same 350K I owed her six years earlier. The only problem was it was a million dollars later in legal bills. I paid my lawyers a million dollars in the lawsuit and ended up paying my ex-business partner the same amount I owed her six years prior. Wow. So I couldn't have gotten to that point without working through my limiting beliefs, without incorporating these new behaviors into my life, and without really and truly understanding what I was losing in this lawsuit. And it was time, and I was killing my ego. And I killed the bad part of it. We all have egos, right? There's good parts and bad parts. I killed the bad part, and I recognize nobody gives a shit when I'm dead and buried if I win or lose this lawsuit. And so I sold my business so I could pay off this lawsuit. And I ended up doing it in the same week. And I believe a lot of that was from the work I did in this flow program and the work I did on myself, letting things go and allowing to manifest a solution to the problems that I was in. And that's, and you shared in the book also that it was against your lawyer's wishes as well, that even in the face of your lawyers saying, this isn't a smart thing to do, you've done so much work on yourself and you'd come to such a point where you could let that go. Oh yeah, because I hated my lawyers. So I didn't really <laughs> put too much into what they were saying at that point. It got to a point after six years, this is a big law firm that I paid them a million dollars over those six years. I mean, I didn't give a shit what they said. I knew what was best for me. And for me, like getting this out of my life and starting over was the biggest and most important step I could take in my own personal growth and following my passion, which was to positively impact other people in the world. And I didn't feel like I was even doing that at my staffing company. I didn't feel like uh, the, the company didn't resonate with me anymore. The whole reason I got involved in the business was because of money, because you could make good money in it. And none of those things were important to me anymore. No money in the world can bring you happiness because I had millions and I lost it. And I am much more fulfilled now than I ever was then. What was it like 
with the people nearest to you? Did their faces change quite a lot throughout? Like really what Janie and I were discussing is that when we change, some of the resistance can be really changing our identity as we see it with our friends and our nearest and dearest. If that yeah. makes sense. Completely. I mean, it's interesting for me because my closest friends I grew up with, but then I left. I left New York. So we're very close still, but from a distance, it's not the same as I'm sure you've had people in your life like this also. Yeah. So the people I surrounded myself with in Utah, for the most part, were people that would fall into the behaviors that I was partaking in. So in Utah, in the beginning, the first two years we were building the company, we were doing very well. So I opened the bar. I mean, of course, what else would I do? And I was an investor in a bar and a lot of people knew me from there. So I was partying with a lot of people I became closest with. I wasn't gambling at the time and I wasn't doing coke, but I was still out partying being the quote unquote big man on campus. And that brought a lot of other people who didn't have their focus aligned. So when I started changing, those people just fell out of my life. I only maintained contact with people who were adding positivity to my life, who not were questioning why I was changing and what happened to me. Those people, when I stopped gambling years before that, people fell out of my life that I thought were good friends, but they weren't. I realized they were gambling buddies. Just like I realized when I stopped partying so much that these people weren't friends. They were using me to get into the bar, to get into the club, to like whatever it is. And there were women in my life that, that were the same, that I would date and they were using me because I had a lot of money back then and whatever the case was. So I wasn't concerned with those people. However, I still have friends in my life who are like, what happened to you? They say it in a joking manner. What are you talking about a sound bath for? What the hell is that? What happened to you? I'm like, it's the best thing you'll ever experience in your life. You have <laughs> to try a sound bath. And I have a sound bowl, actually. My brother bought me a sound bowl for my birthday. That's when you know people around you realize you are changing. So yeah, so I didn't really worry too much about it. But uh, to your point, it was interesting with my parents because my parents definitely saw a change, a big change in me. Because I used to have a very combative relationship, especially with my mother. But now I'm much more patient and I show much a lot more empathy towards them, even though they drive me crazy. I love them and handle it in a much different manner. So we have a different relationship. Yeah, for sure. So what was your relationship to fear in all of this? I would mask fear with drugs. I would mask fear with hiding out, let's say. I really would do just about anything, especially it depends when in my life you're talking about fear. But in general, I was like, and I still am to a certain extent without doing any of the bad stuff, any drugs or anything. I don't participate. But in terms of like trying something new, I'm all about that. Like I'll try anything once at least. So that's how I dealt with fear. Like I would um, medicate myself. In order to try new things? In order to just get through any fear. If I was hopped up on an Adderall, like I wouldn't think about the fear, I would just push through it. Mm -hmm. If I was high, I wouldn't think about the fear, I would just face it. If I had to consciously sit with it, then I might get stuck a little bit with trying to get on the other side of fear. But what I have learned, especially over the past three years when I've really changed my whole life, is that on the other side of fear is growth. And so whatever it is that you fear, just know that you're going to be stronger after you go through it. What strikes me about your story is that it doesn't seem like most people have the fear of 
not being liked, but that doesn't seem like that was your driving fear. It almost seemed like you were afraid of yourself, just confronting yourself and and being with yourself and, and the boredom, as you said. It's interesting. I think there's a part that feelings, I mean, men in general, being in touch with their feelings is a challenge. And especially when you grow up in a household where like the house I grew up in was, was really like a business relationship my parents had. There wasn't a lot of feeling. There wasn't a lot of intimacy. There wasn't a lot of, I mean, I knew they loved each other, but they didn't hold hands and kiss and do any of that stuff in front of us. We never saw that loving sides. And then my father was like, I saw driven and passion out of him. But besides those, I never saw sadness. I never saw extreme happiness. I never saw saw those things. So I think part of that was my inability to get in touch with my own feelings besides that passion and drive to be successful in business, because that's just what I saw from my father. So yeah, I think a little bit was maybe some fear in showing emotion, but I also think I just didn't know how to, because I was never shown. And I think there was a lot of that for sure. And I was running from myself, as you say. Now that you don't have your addictions, how do you face fear? Well, I wouldn't say I don't have addictions. I just don't have a lot of negative addictions. I still have my challenges. I think we all do. But again, I just believe with the fear thing, you just got to push through it. Yeah. So like I'm speaking at an event this Saturday and it's an all female event. I'm the only male that will be attending or speaking. So it's a little like, it'll be interesting, but is there a little fear? Yeah, I'm giving this speech that I haven't given before. So yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. There's a little fear involved, but I just know. And yeah, is is there a voice that crept in the back of my head once or twice that said, oh, you know what, just cancel, just make some shit up and cancel for a second. And I said, oh, I would never fucking do that. Like I have more value to myself than to do something like that. But I also don't like letting people down. I know that even though I don't know this speech like I should, and I'm a little fearful of of it, that when I'm done with it, I'll be better for it. And that's just how I push through it. Absolutely. Like, so it's almost, you're not led by the fear. You allow it to surface, you recognize it and you go, okay, but this isn't who I really am. You know what your purpose is. You're kind of, as you were talking about, more aligned. Yeah, totally. And the talk I'm giving is about alignment. So it is ironic. That's what you referenced. But yeah, look, I know when I'm going to, when I'm starting to talk and everything that I'm going to be fired up and passionate because I am a passionate person. I get excited very easily about things that I really believe in. So even if I don't, you know, it doesn't come out a hundred percent, it's just like this podcast, even if, oh, I could have said something a little bit more eloquently earlier, but even if it doesn't come out the right way, it is all going to come out the right way. Just have that belief. And I do have that belief because of the work that I've done to myself, because of the work I did in flow, because of the understanding that I have that if you are putting yourself out there, then good things are going to come back to you. Like I firmly believe that. And if you do the right thing, the right thing will come back at you. You don't know when, you don't know how, but at the right time and for the right reason, the right thing will happen and the right opportunity will present itself. And what really uh, resonated in your book was that the secret to life basically is authenticity. Completely. And the secret to connection. Because the more authentic you are as a person, then the more somebody else can relate to you and say, oh, yeah, I had those same feelings. You're not alone. I'm not alone. 
And then they can actually trust the words that you're saying. And that's how you can really build relationships in general. That's what will attract and draw people to you. So at what point was that really um, something you began to embrace and embody? When I wrote my book, when I wrote the book, the book was about a year and a half experience. I started it while I still had my company and I finished it on my second trip to Bali. I took another trip to Bali about two years later, year and a half, two years later, about went to the same retreat. This retreat is like a true one of my tribes now. I'm very close to a lot of the people there because it helped change my life. After the retreat, I promised that I wouldn't leave Bali till I finished my book. And so I stayed for another month and I finished my book. And then I started talking and speaking about the book. And that's really where I became a lot more authentic. I had to first, though, get authentic with myself. I had to first get honest with myself. Because even though at that point, I hadn't gambled in over 10 years, I hadn't done coke in over four or five years, this is like three years ago, I was still doing these other behaviors, I was still popping Adderall, I was doing GHB, I was doing smoking marijuana, drinking on the weekends. So I still had all these other negative behaviors going on. But I was able to get truthful with myself and to recognize it and to change that behavior. And then I was able to start speaking about it to others. It's a funny thing with addiction, right? Because some people are embarrassed about it or this, or they feel diminished by it. They feel they've damaged a lot of people and themselves, so they don't want to talk about it. But for me, addiction caused, well, I know it was a jerk to a lot of people around me, but I never stole from anybody. I never cheated on any girl. I never manipulated other people to get something. I caused all the problems to myself. I was very self-destructive in my addiction. So it was easier for me to kind of like, I didn't really have to make amends to too many people except my family because I was a jerk to my parents and my brother. So verbally, I made amends. And then my employees, because I wasn't the best leader, but then I was changing towards the end of me having the company. I was much more empathetic and much more collaborative with my employees. We also wanted to get more into you talking about flow and giving us an example of flow in your life. Yeah. So talking about flow. So I could give you an example. I mean, I have several examples of flow happening in my life, but one of the things that I learned is that if you want to manifest something, you need to speak about it. The more you speak about something you want in your life, the more opportunity that somebody who you're speaking to can actually help you or connect you with somebody or may have done that same thing that you want to accomplish. So a lot of manifestation is talking about it. That's how you manifest things. So there was a time where I was going to South by Southwest. Any of your audience members, it's a big convention down in Austin, Texas that combines technology, music, and film. I would go every year. And I would always be the type of person who needed to plan like six months in advance. I'd need my hotel. I'd need my car lined up. I'd need the passes to the event. I'd need to know what events I'm going to after hour, all of this stuff. Who's performing, what tech companies I want to meet. I, I needed, I was a planner. I don't know about you guys, but I was- I am. Janie isn't. (laughs) It's very sexy. So please continue. Planning is sexy? Yes. (laughs) See, now now I have the fullest, I have the opposite belief that going with the flow is sexy, but I'll go with your premise that planning is sexy. So 
this is right after kind of I was working the flow process and learning about myself and everything. And South by Southwest was coming up and they said, try this. The next opportunity, try some of the things that we've told you. So I did. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to book the hotel. I'm not going to do all this. stuff." I had called and it was like $500 a night. And I was like, this was like a month before. And I was like, forget it. I'm going to figure it out. Things are going to fall into place and I'm not going to worry about it. So I didn't get a car. I didn't even get my flight or I think I had my flight, but I didn't know where I was staying. All of a sudden, three days before the event, and I was like, okay, I better start manifesting something here. Something's got to happen. Like everybody's going down there and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start making some calls. I made one call to a good friend of mine, Zeke, who was down there. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about coming uh, or I'm coming to South by. Do you know anybody down there since you live down there that has an available Airbnb? From what I hear, everything is booked up. He's like, oh my God, I cannot believe you called today because last night I just booked a trip for me, my wife and the kids and we're going to Hawaii. You can stay in my 3,500 foot square house. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. He's like, and I just got a brand new Mercedes truck. You can have it for the event. So you can drive back and forth to the event. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, no problem. Oh, and my office is right on Main Street where everything is happening. You could have a parking pass to my office, park the car there. You won't need to walk anywhere and you'll be at the event. And I'm like, are you shitting me? And he's like, no. He's like, it's crazy. I don't know why you called today. Out of all the days you could have called, we booked this last night. I was like, that's awesome. He's like, you just have to feed the kids gerbil while you're over here. I'm like, you guys got a gerbil? Like who gets a gerbil? So anyway, I, that was so effortless and it all lined up the way it should have. It happened for the right reasons for me at the right time. And it didn't involve any stress or any pressure. It allowed me to live in a state of flow. And that's just one small example. And again, my old self would have said it's a complete coincidence, but I didn't believe that anymore. I believe this was meant to happen. And it was so the synchronicity in it and how all the events happened because I let it go and I wasn't so tied to control and that I needed to control and plan everything. And I allowed myself to manifest it. And because I allowed those things to happen, I found myself with a solution to a problem I wasn't really stressed out about solving. I knew something would manifest itself and it did. And I never would have been able to do any of that unless I went through this process of clearing out these beliefs of tapping of EMDR, this rapid eye movement where you're moving your eyes back and forth, right to left and repeating things out loud to clear them. It sounds weird as shit and it is, but I just <laughs> let it, I just did it and trusted the process. And that's what you have to do. Sometimes you have to let go of your ego. You have to believe in a process and you have to tap into your curiosity. Cause if I never did any of those things, I never would have went down that road. And now is it now just a way of life? It is for me. Like I am totally, totally on board. Everything you're saying, I resonate with 100%. But now do you see the synchronicity unfolding all the time? I do. And it happens all the time, all the time now, way more than I would notice before. And it gets well, me excited. Isn't that a big point that it was always happening? You just were not preset to look for those synchronicities and appreciate them. Yeah, I mean, I would call it coincidence in the past. I wouldn't call it synchronicity. I mean, I never said that word before three years ago in my life. I don't think I ever said manifest either. Those words weren't <laughs> my vocabulary. So a lot of it is letting go 
And it allows you, though, to lead an effortless life. You're not so stuck in your head. I mean, 99% of the things that we worry about and 99% of the things we focus on never happen. Yet we spend all this time and all this energy worrying about them. Do you have daily practices to keep this up? Like, are you, do you find that you're constantly letting things go as they arise? Or was it just kind of a period of time and you feel like it's lasted the effects of letting things go specifically? Well, I think I don't necessarily get attached to so many things like I used to. So there's less letting go and more letting be. That's nice. I like that. I'd really love for us to get an idea of what you're working on now. Okay. So when I sold my business, I made a commitment to myself that I would never do anything where money was the sole reason again, because that's how I previously made all my decisions, as I had explained earlier. I truly want to have an impact in the world, a positive impact, of course, because I was having a negative impact before. And in order to do that, I feel like it takes a little bit of continuing to follow your intuition and follow your heart. And so what I've transitioned into doing is I also decided I didn't want to put 90% of my time into one thing because I have a lot of different things I'm passionate about. So I wanted to be able to spread my time in various areas. So that's what I do. So yes, I am an executive coach right now. I enjoy that. It's mostly for startups in the zero to $5 million range range. So if anybody's listening and anybody's in that position and is an executive or um, a founder, I'm glad to offer anybody a free 45-minute consultation of how we can help double your revenues in business or how we can help you shift during this time of uncertainty. And we can leave my email later. Anybody can uh, reach out to me. I'm glad to do that for the audience. So I am an executive coach. That's one of the things I do. I have a nonprofit called Activated.Life and we're focused on mental health awareness. Originally, it was in the entrepreneurial space, but we think because of this time that we're going to open that up and we have several initiatives we're working on. We're also doing a retreat in Costa Rica, which you you guys both should come to. It was going to be in August, but it's probably going to be pushed to 21 now, 2021. But what we did is because I have the ability to have a flexible schedule right now, when the pandemic hit, a good buddy of mine in New York called me up. He has a $20 million nurse recruiting firm, and they had 4,000 nurse job openings. So he asked me if I would help him out. So for the last two months, I've been helping him recruit nurses to New York, New Jersey, to help with the pandemic and have about 15 nurses working for him. So I spent about the last two months doing I was able to pivot and do that because I built the life that I built now where I'm able to follow that intuition. My intuition was telling me I needed to do that and help. So I followed that, helped out there. We also started a fund to deliver food and PPE supplies to frontline workers. So we have a GoFundMe up. We've raised about $22,000 so far. We have delivered over 2,000 meals to the nurses and doctors on the front lines there and a bunch of equipment as well. So the hiring has slowed down because thankfully the numbers are coming down in New York and New Jersey. So that's opened up some more time for me. And I'm also a speaker. So as I mentioned, I'm speaking at an event on Saturday. So I've been just working on on my speeches and landing more stages. And I've created an alignment assessment that helps people look at the activities they're spending time on on a day-to-day basis and assess if those activities are really aligned with their mission 
mission and goals and purpose in life. And I offer that for free to people. So if anybody's interested, we can provide that link as well. That was perfect. Really, basically, really yeah, you commit 24 hours to tracking your activity. And then you measure those activities intuitively on a scale of one to 10 and give it a ranking. And then you take your average alignment score. Let's say it's a 7.5 on a scale of one to 10. And then we look at all the activities you're spending time on that are below that 7.5. And we shift time away from those activities into other activities that are more aligned with you or on that curiosity path where you integrate new activities that will leave you with a higher vibration. So we raise the level of alignment in your life because it's not a lot of time where you're actually sitting down and assessing what you're doing with your days. We're usually just doing We're not actually planning enough. So this gives you the opportunity to, and sometimes it's painful for people because they have to like look down and be like, holy shit, I was on Facebook scrolling for two hours today. What a waste of time. And it allows you to consciously shift that behavior. So yeah, so those are the things that I'm doing. And I'm also an angel investor. So involved with some investing in some companies and I am truly passionate about that. And there's some other, I do a lot of volunteer work in the prison system. I'm exploring possibly opening up a transitional housing for people uh, that are incarcerated and helping them transition back into society. So hopefully I'll be able to do something with that next year. But those are the things that I'm focusing my time on. And those are the things that I'm passionate about these days. Oh, wow. Michael, that's way more than I knew about. That's incredible. Thank you. It's just like, I I feel like for all the bad shit I did, like I could easily be in, in prison. So I'm connected to the mission because if I wasn't white and I wasn't privileged, quote unquote, then like the drug dealing I did and a lot of the stuff I got away with, I probably wouldn't have gotten away with. People talk about white privilege and everything. It's not about if you are privileged, it's what you do with the privilege that matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, Amazing awareness. Yeah. Yeah, Because we can't decide what life we're born into. We don't have that decision. And we shouldn't be able to use it effectively so that we can help others who don't have the same privileges that we have. So that's what I believe in. My main note after reading all of your work and and just um, getting acquainted with your world is that your story is very much about the wisdom you're gaining from greater levels of self-awareness. So many people paint their kind of story of getting over something as like a linear progression of growth, which is just not a reflection of reality. And I love how honest you are about the fact that you're, and we all are a work in progress. And it's not like, and I beat my addictions and here I am, a shiny, aware being. So I really appreciated that from your book as well. Thank you. I mean, I think what happens is there are a lot of people like that where they beat their addiction and then they're like this shiny new thing. But the reality is most of us aren't. Most of us are struggling. We're in patterns of our life where we're performing at a peak level, but then we're not. Then we're not having great days. And then, and there are different addictions, especially now with this pandemic. It's a roller coaster. I view my life similar to what people are going through during this short time in the pandemic. 
My life has been a roller coaster of highs and lows. This time inside has been the same thing for a lot of people. A lot of highs, a lot of lows. Like some people initially, like some of my friends, like they told me when this started, they're like, I'm going to go online. I'm going to provide all this free content for everybody in my world. Like my one friend's a yoga teacher. She's like, I'm going to do yoga every morning. Like literally like a week and a half into it, she was absolutely spent. All her energy was drained. And like, she was just giving, 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 giving. And she was just like, I'm exhausted. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling lonely. And this is after, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm giving so much of myself that I'm not taking care of myself. And then boom, then she hits a bottom. And then a couple of weeks later, she's like, all right, now I'm going to do it better. I'm going to just do it twice a week so that I can take care of myself. Right? So it's like this roller coaster effect that I feel like my life has been completely <laughs> yeah, just concentrated. Yeah. Highs and lows. But it, I learned early on in Gamblers Anonymous, which helped me get overcome my gambling addiction. I learned that I was living in the ones, twos, and threes and the eight, nines, and tens. So I was always so depressed and so in the bottom or so feeling ecstatic and so high. But the key to life is living in the four, fives, and sixes, because that's where we are most of the time. And being okay with it, finding practices that ground you in the four, fives, and sixes, because you're always going to have one, twos, and threes, and you're always going to have eight, nines, and tens. But that's not where you're going to live the majority of the time. Majority of the time, you're going to live in four, five, and six. So it's like, how do we get comfortable with living in that space? And that's kind of what I am always always trying to incorporate. I love that, Michael. In fact, like that's been very much the story of my life as well. Like you don't really know as much about me, but I guess I've gone through the same thing. And actually Zita and I were reflecting on like how most characters go through quite the trials and tribulations to get to the type of wisdom that we've come across, which is basically living the most authentic life possible. And truly that four, five, and six can actually feel like to me, it's mostly between seven to 10. My baseline has raised. Yeah, I think with any addiction, when you're coming out of an addiction, the addiction usually gets you to that eight, nine, and 10 feeling, whether it's a chemical addiction, a gambling addiction, or whatever. So it's readjusting how your body feels and how you mentally feel in those four, fives, and sixes. Those four, fives, and sixes, they can get you in the best place you've ever want to be. It could be ecstasy living in those four, fives, and sixes for you. And you can build an amazing life in those. So they feel like the eight, nines, and tens. Well, because it's, it's really alchemized into like peace, acceptance, authenticity. That's right. like four, fives, and sixes. To me, that's what that represents. A hundred percent. Because look, like if you're launching something, you're launching a podcast, you got podcast episodes dropping, whatever. When you're doing them and when you're dropping them, you're in the eight, nines, and tens, right? And then like two weeks go by, you don't do any and you're like living in the four, fives and sixes, right? So those like highs aren't going to last. We all love them. We all yearn them, but they're not how you live on a day to day. So get comfortable with yourself, get comfortable being authentic and get comfortable with the four, fives and sixes, because that's where you learn about yourself and that's where you grow. Oh my God. Okay. So the next book that we can uh, hope for is uh, Chasing the Four, Fives and Sixes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It might be uh, overcoming midlife crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Peace on me up. I'm a big fan, Michael. Yeah, we really, really are, Michael. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to Living Off Course. 
For links to any resources, books, etc. that we mentioned in the show, please check out the show notes on our website, livingoffcourse.com. And to stay up to date with our latest episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you so much again, and we look forward to seeing you next week.